Uh, oh, quick thing about this. Uh, so I didn't. I had to do some research on this. So the this series is a continuation of the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I mean, I realized that I was like, you know what? This see because what caught my eye was when he said the name Tuco in this. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute, is that the name of? Uh, the other guy? Yeah, so, it, so is a, it is a licensed product. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, there were two series. There was The Man With No Name, and then when that you know that did a story, I think there was maybe six issues. I'm not sure. Actually, uh, it was 11. Okay, and then they had the second series, which I think was The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Yeah, but it's not the... It's not, it's not, it's not a not retelling in. of the story. It's just... No. It's, it's a continuation from The Man With No Name, actually. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a it's a new story arc, but it's the same character moving right. forward. Well, we could do this as part of the episode. Yep. So therefore, and now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. Hello everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro and that's Bill Robinson. The great the, mouse catcher. Or the doctor. The doctor. The man of many trades. When <laughs> we last left our hero... He had stepped away from episode 500 as a crisis had evolved in his house. And yet that's not the way the episodes will air. There will be episodes in what? between. Betwixt and between. Oh, true. True. Oh, well, the, I, this is this is not episode 501. This is episode insert number here. I, I still can't believe we're up to 500 episodes, honestly. Can't that number is like incomprehensible to me. I never thought this thing would go to distance. Yeah, no, me neither. See, we, we didn't know it was a damn show. We thought it was a damn fight. <laughs> <clears throat> so, today we're going back to our roots a little bit with two random books. But, and... but wait. But wait. Isn't it... Well, so I caught the mouse and it's out of the house. <laughs> okay. It was a mouse, not a rat. I don't know. It was kind of big. It was big for a mouse. It was small for a rat. So I'm not sure what it was. Um, you know. I would just for for the sake of sleeping more comfortably, I would say it was a mouse. In my head, my head cannon. But Paul, you you really should have been there because, it, you know, there was a second one. I think I told you that, but that that'll be a story for another day. Well, we, but, we did uh, have a, a mouse infestation in my old house at one point, and it is a miserable job trying to get rid of them. Uh, they were, you know, they were in the walls. 
Yeah. Well, I, I, I think there was just these two. But uh, so in that episode towards the end, my daughter comes in and, and you know, there's a there's a rat in the, in the bathroom. Oh, my God. And I'm like, what? What? Well, first I was muted, but then I turned it on because I'm like, this is this is comedy gold. How how, how can I let this pass? And then uh, I quickly gave my review of my book and and and, uh, you know, having having disposed of his review, our hero left the <laughs> left the recording and you guys finished uh, finished on. Uh, I'm assuming you guys gave the book a high grade. Maybe. Yeah, we, we gave it a fairly high grade, if, I, if my recollection. You know, okay. I, these things go in my head and out really quickly, but I think okay. we gave it a fairly high grade. Uh, I think I was a little down on the cover. Uh, mm. Just just because I didn't feel like it was eye catching enough for a 500th mm. issue. Yeah. Uh, but beyond that, I you know we we uh, I think we we gave it a pretty decent rating. I think Dave might have even rated it higher than me if my memory is right. Mm. Well, I will have to. Well, I you'll, you'll have to listen. <laughs> just for the end to see all the things that you edited in about me going after a, a rat slash mouse. So. I go to the bathroom door and kind of peek in, you know, open it a little bit, look in. I don't see anything. So then I get down on my hands and knees. I lay in the floor. <laughs> Always a smart thing to do. Take my phone, like crack the door open, take my phone in and slide it in and like hit the video button and like pan the phone around just to see if he's under something or it's under something. Then I take it out and I look at it and I see a rather large, blurry brown blob. And I'm like, mm. and then blob moves. So I'm like, okay, that's got to be it. I'm like, all right. So I go in there, and I <laughs> I walk in it, and I quickly put one foot on the bathtub and the other one on the toilet. And I'm standing up in the air, and I'm just like kind of crouched, waiting to see if he comes out. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm just like, because I want to see him. So... Then I sit there and wait, and uh, then I see like a little tail come out, and I'm like, "Oh boy, that's a big, that's a pretty big tail." Oh no! <laughs> so, so then I get back out, and uh, my daughter's like, "What are you gonna do?" I'm like, "I don't know. All right, just let me think about this. I'm not gonna just go in there and grab him, <laughs> you know. I don't want to get bit. I don't know what he's got on him, as in like disease or anything." It's not like he's carrying a knife, you know, so, but he's got teeth and claws. So I'm like, ah, and, um, so I try getting like big sticks, like a grabber and, you know, like going through the door and it's, he's just, then he starts like moving around a lot. No, cause he's a scared and, now. Yeah. I'm like, nah, that's not going to work. So then, then I go and get the, uh, the very large, um, uh, it's like a five-gallon shop vac, <laughs> a wet-dry vac. I oh know there's God. something. <laughs> I there's he wouldn't pass through the motor. He would just get sucked into the chamber and dropped into the thing. All yes, right? I, I understand. I just, okay, it's, it's I'm not very, running him through. A, it, I'm not running him through a mouse blender for God's sake. It's a very strange <laughs> image, mental image. That's all I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not throwing any any blame on you for this you know and the the um 
the hose for the vacuum I can shove my fist in. So I, I know I can get the mouse in there, and I'm hoping it's got – and it's got pretty strong suction, and I'm hoping I can just jam it up against them and suck them into the vacuum and then get them out, out, out of the house. <laughs> my God. I wish they were running video because it was it. I I looked like Inspector Clouseau when I went into that bathroom with that hose because I get the vacuum on the outside and it's like, and I hadn't ran it in a while, but I I took the filter off of it so that like a lot of loose dust and stuff starts. So I turn that on. It's blowing not a lot of dust but a mild amount of dust everywhere. My daughter said it was like a hurricane in the hallway. You know, because it's venting air out too, and of course now they're like, "Oh, you're gonna suck it through the vacuum? Oh my God, what is it?" I'm like, "Relax, relax, shut would up." You, would you rather I give it a home? <laughs> you know, we gotta get it out of here. We can't, you know. So I walk in there with, so now it hears the vacuum, so it's starting to move around. I don't know where it is. You know, because it's moving under the sinks and stuff and then behind the toilet. And I'm I'm holding the vacuum hose, getting ready to pounce as soon as I see it. And then I like I turn to my left. I suck up the shower curtain. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like and now I got to pull the shower curtain off. And then and then I whip around because I'm like, oh, man, I got to watch in case he jumps out at me like you know, he's going to bite my ankle or something. Right. You know. So then when I whip around, I suck up a rug that's in the floor. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's turning into a cartoon where you start, you know, sucking up the the, uh, the, the sink, the tub. So then I had to I had to pull the rug off. And now I'm just like, God, uh, this ain't working. So I go back out. As I'm leaving the bathroom, the mouse freaks out and he jumps up on the um, – on on the tub so i try to like go at him with the hose and i don't know if he saw me or it was like the mouse tricks the matrix because the mouse is like bullet times and jumps into the tub but for some reason he wouldn't get out of the tub i think it's because all the noise and everything scared him so there's a loofah in the tub so he crawls under the loofah now, at this point, I'm like, ah, this vacuum thing is not working, and I, I, I don't, yeah. Uh, so, I throw the hose out in the hallway, and I'm like, get me some type of container. So, they turn the vacuum off. They bring a a a uh, big pretzel barrel container, and so I'm kind of like peeking at him in the tub, and he's kind of walking around in the tub and and I kind of tap the side of it with my foot and then he runs to he runs to the loofah and then I quickly just take the container and I just drop it right down on top of him and the loofah and then so I'm standing there holding it and I'm like oh god all right all right all right all right now what <laughs> so I'm like I got him <laughs> at least he's contained so we had to take the cover to the pretzel container, and I had to kind of like lift it up one side, slide it under, and then get it under his butt, you know, shake him around, and then snap the it down. And then, and then you turn yeah. It all so that's a picture I think I 
I think I said to you guys of me holding up the container and he's he was trapped in there. <sighs> so now that you have him, it's like, what do we do with him? You know, of course, the kids are like the kids. Yeah, they're in their 20s. <laughs> I would take it a couple of blocks away and set it loose. Well, that's what we did. Um, but we took it up to like uh, like a shopping center that had a bunch of bushes and stuff. And um, on the way, they they named the mouse La Lufa. You know, because they said to Ben, I was like, uh, sorry about your loofah, man. <laughs> I'm like, we could probably wash it. He's like, no, I think we could we we can we can lose the loofah. Like, good call. <laughs> you know, you probably got mouse piss all in it now. <laughs> so they I said, here, you guys go go release them. Go go release it, whatever. So we dropped them off. And then that night it got down in the 40s, and the next day I say to my wife, I'm like, you know that mouse could smuggle ice. It's a good chance he's dead. <laughs> I'm not going to bring that up to the kids because it was very cold last night. Yeah. And we basically took him from his surroundings in his home and said, bye-bye. In his home. <laughs> well, <laughs> what he had come to feel as his home. I was, I was oh, and this all this okay. all came about because I had – Ripped down the the damaged soffit on the roof and then resealed it up and then probably mm. this guy had nowhere to go. Neither did his buddy later that <coughs> night from asleep. And I hear like something fall from a distance in a shower. You know that sound, right? Unfortunately, Bonk. I think I do. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what was that? Uh, well, I gotta get up and go to the bathroom anyway. So I go in there. I look in a the tub. There's another one. I'm like, what? So this this was not as drawn out. I, I I grabbed the towel, threw it on him, snatched up the towel, was able to bag him, walked outside, threw him in a in the street, and went back to bed. I think it's just because I was tired and it was like all instinct on that second one. But he came. They were coming out through the um, around the shower head. The hole, mm-hmm. there's a hole in the wall. Like there's just a silver plate that was covering it. Right. So they so they pushed the plate, boop, and that must be where they were getting in. So we've got that taped up for now. I'm gonna have to get something to seal that permanently. Mm-hmm. So you were gonna say, I'm sorry. sorry I, 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 well, I was gonna say that you know years back we had a uh, you know squirrel got into the attic or maybe possibly more than one. I don't even know. So we had called an exterminator because I was ill-equipped to handle the situation. And, mm. you know, he put the, uh, you know, those traps, uh, he put them on the roof of the house, the, you know, the ones where the, the critter can go in cause there's bait inside, but then it yeah, snaps closed and they can't get out. And then mm-hmm. in, in theory, the exterminator comes and takes them and brings them, you know, a couple of miles away and sets them free because otherwise they'll be inclined to go back in the same way they did the first time. Right. Uh, anyway, you know, we, we got a, a squirrel caught, you know, on the roof. And, you know, on a rare occasion, I went up and got the uh, trap off the roof with the squirrel in it. Uh, well, just I could follow up with that. And this was, you know, this is a very cruel thought. But the first time we caught one, uh, the because there were two traps up there, you know, we caught one in there and I called up the exterminator to come on the roof and take it down. And by the time he came, there was a squirrel skeleton in there. Uh, so, so we didn't want that to happen this time. So I, I went up and I got it and I brought it down 
and we had it in the backyard underneath the overhang, you know, the in the cage, uh, you know, waiting for the exterminator to come and take it and whatever. So, you know, it's a squirrel, and my, my daughter thought it was cute, so she named it Chippy. Uh, and, and, and at one point, she went over to, like, by the cage, and she was talking to it, and it, like, lunged at the side of the cage. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know, you think Chippy is cute, but Chippy would rip your throat out if you gave him the opportunity. <laughs> yeah. So that that was that was our uh, extermination story. And you know, the other thing was one time we did have mouse, mice coming in, you know, field mice, very small, coming mm-hmm. in into the basement and trying to nest in my walls. And apparently, they did have a litter. Uh, so I, I was using whatever traps. I don't even want to discuss the the type of trap I was using, but at one point I was just like removing them. We, let's just say we had a mass funeral. Oof. Mm. For for an entire litter of stuff. Of oh. But I did manage to clear it out, and we never saw any rodents in the house again after that. I guess they, whichever ones managed to escape, told their friends, "Don't go there." I was going to say, "Don't go, don't go to that house." So Joe and his entire family were wiped out. (laughs) And you may, you may be asking yourself, what does this have to do with comic books? And the answer is nothing. Nothing. Just two, two old lame comic book collectors catching critters in their homes. No, It has a lot to do with that because they, the the mice or rats would have liked to nested in the paper of my comic books. Well, that that is, that is a good point because I did have my comics in the basement and they, it's a, now I turn into a Quint on Jaws. Comic books are in the basement. Mouse is in the basement. <laughs> Our mouse. <laughs> so, no, I just, I, I can't, I, I'm, I'm not especially skittish, but I can't sit comfortably knowing that there's these critters running around in the house. 500 mice went in the house. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the mice got out. Sometimes they didn't. <laughs> So, so for today's book, I took Secret Origins number two. And My we, God, this is I a mighty book. Today, today's, today's episode could be called, Who Does Number Two Work For? <laughs> yes, so, yes. So it's, it's uh, the origin of two Blue Beetles. Uh, and the cover is drawn by Ed Hannigan, Gil Kane, and Vicar- Ricardo Villagran. And it shows... It's got a, a an outline of a of the beetle scarab, uh, and then inside of it, it's got the golden age blue beetle and then the bronze age blue beetle both coming out, and it says two shocking secrets for the price of one. Uh, it's got a yellow background on it. It's it's pretty sharp. I think it's a it's you know it's it's effective for what it's doing. Uh, the story is called Echoes of a Fu- oh, Echoes of Future Past. It's written by Len Wein, penciled by Gil Kane, inked by Gil Kane, colored by Anthony Tolan, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Julius Schwartz. And the issue opens with a splash page showing uh, the Golden Age Blue Beetle punching out a uh, mummy. Uh, while the Bronze Age Blue Beetle is swinging in, ripping through, through, the, the, th- through yeah. the picture. Uh, the story opens several years ago, and I do like when comic books do that, where they don't actually give you a specific timeline. 
mm-hmm. and we meet up with noted archaeologist and visiting professor Daniel Garrett, who is teaching a class, and he is questioned by Ted Cord, who's an attend who's attending the class, and the two of them start a you know start a, a, a dialogue, and they're getting along, and they're talking about a dig that uh, that uh, Garrett is going on, and Ted is Ted is jealous and says it sounds like fun. Then a couple of months later, we join the dig where it's uh, the professor and uh, what's her name, uh, like Leanne or something like that, I believe. Uh, uh, and they're going into the tomb of Ka Efrei, which is guarded by by graven images of the evil pharaoh himself. But while this is all going on, they're also starting a little bit of a romance. And apparently this is a very well-financed dig because they take a plane to go <laughs> to go out to dinner, I guess. Uh, and Her name uh, is Lurie, L-U-R-I. Okay, okay Lurie. Professor Hoshid. Uh, <laughs> right? Isn't that her name? <laughs> no, I was just saying if you said to Hoshid, that's what I said when I saw the mouse. Yeah, her name isn't Professor, it's Lori. That's what she tells him. And the two of them are clearly, you know, romancing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then they're shot at in their plane by General Amenhotep, who is a, the last descendant of a mighty Egyptian pharaoh. And I think Amenhotep or something like that is the name we hear for every mummy. Yeah. Pretty much. So he's going to have to, I'm sure, tie into some sort of mummy, but whatever. Uh, they they do go out to dinner at Rick's in Cairo. So it's a flashback to uh, Casablanca. <laughs> and uh, they, they General Amotep is there. And uh, Garrett actually starts a fight with him and, you know, elbows him in the face. Does he? No, he doesn't elbow the uh, general in the face, but he elbows his uh, guards Somebody. in the face. Yeah. And then they take off and get in their plane and leave. But it's funny because he says, uh, what was it? I didn't start this little conflict between us, but you can bet your brass buttons I'm going to finish it. Yeah, he did start. <laughs> he went, the no. general was sitting there having dinner and he went over. They did shoot at him. Not before he went over and grabbed the guy by the by the uh the, yeah the but he, that's what he was saying hey you shot at me oh because they shot at his plane yes okay yeah. i guess so i'm just thinking in the restaurant he started it <laughs> anyway so they 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 finally make their way into this uh tomb uh and when they do so uh much much like the attendants and raiders of the lost ark they all you know flee because of the uh danger and they get in, and it's a very, very well-kept area. I don't see any spider webs or anything. Uh, and and they come across they come across the mummy, and there's a blue beetle jewel of some sort sitting on the top of it. And he picks it up, and when he does, uh, things start to swirl around him, and very few people draw swirling swirling dizziness better than Gil Kane, to be honest with you. And <laughs> and he's he's in in some sort of a dream dreamscape where he's speaking to uh I don't think it's that's it's well it's it's something someplace where time doesn't exist and he's told that he's gonna be given the power of the blue beetle to protect uh Earth from evil and he swears that he's gonna follow through with it. And then he returns to current time and you know i mean it seems to laurie i guess that he's just you know like out of it uh and she says are you all right he says i'm fine just a little dizzy 
and you know she's, yeah you've been standing so still almost motionless and uh at that point general amhotep uh is approaching in his plane and garrett uses what he was given with the blue beetle he uses like a special uh word uh which is kajida and he transforms into the golden age blue beetle and he at that point some some mummies start coming at him and he starts beating on them and he takes he basically takes care of business and then tells Lori that there can't be in us because he has a sacred mission to protect mankind from evil despite however he feels from her the world has need of a blue beetle then we get a splash page with uh, a lot of you know different images of he's in the center and there's a lot of his villains who i guess are from the golden age around him uh, we have uh, a saboteur called mr thunderbolt the insane eco ecologist known as praying mantis man and i love that costume uh the mechanized mentor the magnificent the rampaging red knight the underground evil that is magno man and the grotesque Mr. Crab and his sinister scorpion. Hey, Mr. Hey. Krabs. Hey, Spongebob. Hey. You got to love that. Uh, so, so, you know, basically they're putting all of the Golden Age uh, Blue Beetles adventures into a very short, you know, in, in, into a very short uh, story. And then we... We join up again several years later uh, when Ted Cord comes to him and says there's something going on and he's not sure what it is, but the whole world could suffer and he needs his help. Why he sought out Professor Garrett, I'm not exactly sure because he doesn't know that he's the Blue Beetle. Anyway, uh, it turns out that Ted has been working with his uncle, who his dad never trusted. Uh, on some sort of secret project. And the uncle's like, yes, very good. Do this, very good. But he's never telling him why he's doing anything that he's doing. So eventually there's an explosion in the lab and it makes it seem like his uncle is dead. Uh, and then he finds some things that let him know what his uncle was working on. And he's now sought out Professor Garrett to help him because he's afraid that what he helped his uncle with will make him unstoppable. Then he shows him the films that he got, which are basically that he can create these incredibly strong uh, robots. He was able to do them where they were very slow moving and vulnerable, but with Ted's help, he's made them quicker and more dangerous. And he's saying, you know, what could stop a hundred or a thousand of these things? So they travel to Pago Island, where they believe his uncle is. Uh, and as soon as they get there, they're greeted by some of these robots who take them prisoner. The uncle admits that, you know, he's got the plans to take over the world. And, uh, you know, while they're being held, Professor Garrett decides that's enough. He uses the magic word, Kajida, and turns into bl the Blue Beetle. He beats down the robots. There's, uh, there's the uncle is uh, shooting, or actually the robot is going to explode. So he protects Ted, but at the cost of a fatal injury to himself. He uh, he asks Ted to carry on for him, and Ted says he will, uh, and then he's taken off by helicopter. He's rescued and taken off. When he gets back, he decides that he's going to follow through, but he doesn't know how because he doesn't have the superpowers of Professor Garrett, so he creates things electronically, a giant 
mechanical bug that he can travel in, different sorts of uh, protective devices, and turns himself into the Bronze Age Blue Beetle. And the last shot is a uh, splash page of him swinging off in the Blue Beetle costume with a translucent image of the Golden Age Blue Beetle, uh, you know, a giant translucent image behind him, and the mm -hmm. Beetle ship uh, hovering overhead that he's swinging from. Uh, and it says to us, uh, you know, the Blue Beetle is ready to take on the world, and that he will in the pages of his own monthly magazine debuting next month. Join us for Out of the Ashes, written by Len Wein, illustrated by Paris Cullen and Bruce Patterson. You'll hate yourself if you miss the new beginning. Uh, now, my first my first thought was, why would you have Gil Kane draw this if you're going to have Paris Cullen draw the series that's going on? And I was not reading this at the time that this came out. I was not actively doing anything, I don't think, with comics at this point. Uh, hmm. But I would have been saying, who's this Paris Cullen guy? I don't know who he is, and I love Gil Kane's work. Why wouldn't you just have Gil Kane do the new series? Now, as it turns out, not only do I like Paris Cullen's work a lot, we met him at Eternal Con, and he yep. was really, really a cool guy. So, you know, it's 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 a double thing. His work is really good, and he's really cool. Uh so I, I've never read that series, but I do have an inclination that I'd like to. And I've had that inclination for quite a while. It wasn't really stirred up by this uh, reading, but it's something I was I, I kind of wanted to read, you know, with the, basically the blue and the gold that they've made such a deal about. But, it, you know, started in the 80s and worked my way up. Uh, so I still may do that. But going back to this series or this issue, uh, like a lot of secret origin stories, it has to condense an awful lot into a very short period of time. Uh, but that's also true for a lot of origin stories as they were presented back in the, you know, in the Silver Age. You know, how long was uh, Amazing Fantasy 15? I mean, it was, what was it, 14 mm -hmm. pages, something like that. Uh, so, you know, that that's not so bothersome. I do feel like, despite the fact that there's a you know tremendous info dump in this book, they do present it as a, you know, as, as a decent narrative, uh, and it doesn't feel like we're being rushed through it. The only part that feels rushed at all is the, you know, the splash page with the, uh, you know, all the images of the villains that he fought. But you really can't do that any other way, I don't think. Right. And we managed to have both both heroes' origins in a, in a you know, in a 23-page 20, uh, span. So that, well, that's now, pretty this cool. Well, now, this is... Uh, this should be post crisis, right? I think it's just. I, I think it's like just, right it's around the close. time of crisis. Well, I'm trying to remember exactly what month crisis started because this I think is, it is six. Yeah, I think it might be just post crisis. I'm not 100 percent sure. Which would be a way to bring you know this. Well, I think that's when they took over because Blue Beetle was a Charlton character. Right. Right. So this, I, you know, I guess I'm, I'm assuming this is the first. Uh, entry of him into the uh into the dc world yeah crisis the first issue was cover dated april of 85 and oh, so it just ended and issue 12 was march of 86 this mm. is cover dated what was it may of 86 may. so it's only you know two sense. months away well that makes sense as soon as crisis ended they came out with secret origins one just to retell or now to introduce the new character or you know how they've changed it or how they tweaked them 
Yeah, I don't think we had any Blue Beetle appearances in the DC Universe pre-Crisis. Was he not in? Oh, okay. Yeah, because I think he, he he was in Crisis, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Duh. I don't think, I. you know what, I'm not saying that as, as authority. I'm saying it as, that's what I think. Mm. <laughs> I could be wrong. If, somebody, if somebody's listening and, and finds out that I am wrong or understands that I am wrong, let us know. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I am inclined to read this series at some point, but I have a bunch of things on my reading order, so I don't know if and when I'm going to get to it. Uh, like I, I, th- I think, this, like I said, I started to say, this. I think the story is well laid out as far as giving us a lot of information in a short time, but making us, make, making it a credible story too. It, it you don't feel like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you don't feel like it's just flashbacks. So I, I kind of oh, like no, that no, aspect no, be, of it. Well, yeah, because they're bringing, you know, Ted Cord's brought in at the beginning as a student, you know. So you know, we're going. I mean, technically, it is a flashback, but it's, you know, it's not like you don't bounce back and forth. It's just going back here and then going forward with the whole story. And you have, cool. you have to update it, too, because I guess, you know, the, the original Blue Beetle was a Golden Age character. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, back in the, uh, I guess, in the 40s. Uh, and now this is 86. And you're trying to present Ted Court as the current day. Uh, right. So you, you're going to be giving Garrett as, you know, not that long before. I mean, I think you're giving him several years as the Blue Beetle, according to what it says here. But maybe he becomes the Blue Beetle in, you know, 1980. Yeah, I was going to say late 70s, you know, maybe 80. Yeah, so, so you know, but, but again, they don't give you any dates on it. And I think that's wise. I think when, when you know, once you put a number on it, now now you've started the clock ticking. So, you know, we you could read this today and say, okay, Ted Cord became the Beatle in 2022, and Garrett became the Blue Beetle in 2015. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's you know it's fine because you could always headcanon that. Uh, but when you know when it's got you know when it says oh in four, 1944, you know, it's like okay, now Oops, now he now we work. have to find a way to have put him in suspended animation at some point. <laughs> I've always been troubled by that with the JSA because I never want the original. I never want the origin of the JSA to take place anywhere but World War Two. Yeah, and the further we get from there. Yeah, they, well, it's it's no longer possible for these characters to be you know viable uh, young you know even you know reasonably middle aged superheroes unless they have some sort of uh, you know perpetual youth power and you're not going to have that in every character you know you could do it in wonder woman you could even do it in superman you know you can get away with it with certain characters but you're not going to mm-hmm. get away with it with all of them so i always felt anyone that, you know, that has a has a mystical or alien origin you could do it but you know characters like batman well he he's dead anyway um wildcat you know you've got to have the legacy which is like a lot of what of Infinity Inc. was meant to be. And I'm cool with the legacy, but I still want the original heroes to exist and mm. have some sort of uh, viability to them. So, you know, I want I want the legacy heroes to be younger than I am now. Or, or excuse me, the original heroes, <laughs> not the legacy ones. Yeah. Uh, and that's not, you know, it's not possible for, for that to be in World War II. So, you know, I always said, you know, you got to come up with somewhere they came through some sort of a time warp or something. Uh and then you could just, you know, that can, that time warp can always be changed as far as how long they were in it. 
you know, in, in the head cannon. You never, you never have to put an official. Oh, time to get. Sorry, everybody. We got to go. <laughs> but, the, you know, that, that's kind of my thoughts on that. I, I, you know, I want to keep them in World War Two, but I also want to move, move forward. So, you know, you, you got to come up with some sort of explanation to allow that to happen. But I don't want to. I don't want to go off on that for too long because I'd rather talk about this issue a little bit. Uh, I loved the Kilcane art in this, and I know you—I know you hate the up the up nose look, and there's there's plenty of them in here. Uh, really, you know, I didn't. Well, I didn't really notice as many this time. I oh well, there's well, I mean, there's a henchman, but that's not like I didn't. Oh yeah, okay. See now that you pointed it out, I've been more intrigued with. Uh, is there something with the way Gil Kane draws glasses on people? I swear I've seen like that style, whatever he uses for glasses, like just a big round black circle for a where, lens. Where, uh, what page are you looking at? There? Oh, like like early on when the um, when they're at at the college and you know you see the professor. Oh, okay, yeah, just just a just a wired circle. Yeah, uh, but it's like he, it just it's very distinctive. Like I, I like I know I've seen that depiction of glasses and, and it must be other Gil Kane work. It looks to me like that's, and I hate to accuse Gil Kane of ever doing anything that would sound like laziness. Cause I don't think he was a lazy artist at all. Uh, but I think that's the easiest way to draw glasses because you can just draw the image that you're going to do and add the glasses after and just draw it over it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's you just... know, the, the, the less actual frame that you put on them, the easier it is to do it. It's like no frame on. Those. Yeah, so well, it's wireframe. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it was just you know, okay. Now I'm seeing nose shots, but yeah, I didn't really notice because the glasses were pulling me out for some reason. But I, th- I think his, I, his storytelling is impeccable. I really just think, and and again, talking about how much information is in here, the pacing is is terrific. Now I don't know how much of this is from a script and how much of it is you know just given a mm. plot and and go forward, uh, but I really think that. When when you take into account what they're trying to tell in, again, 23 short pages, uh, and you have, I think, two or three uh, splash pages in here, uh, you, you have at least three splash pages. Uh, so And then there's a couple with some large, you know, very large panels where it takes up like half the page, too. So it, it's to be able to do that and to be tell, telling the story as well as they do and not have it be an issue that you could read in five minutes. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a real accomplishment. Well, I think I've said this before. Um, often the first time I open a comic, I don't even read anything. I just flip through to try to see if I can get the gist of the story just by, you know, just by the pictures. Not I really this one, you, I think you could. Yeah. Yeah. Except when I got to uh, Uncle Jarvis, I thought, why is Race Bannon from Johnny Quest? I thought the same thing. <laughs> okay, so I'm not. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> that's that's pretty cool. I I don't know if everybody would get that reference, but yeah, race band. And, you know, as you give my race band and story it was uh, back in 1990 something. I don't know, early 90s. Uh, they were running a Johnny Quest uh, marathon on TV, and I was watching a few episodes for some reason. And at that point, I found out that I was older than Race Bannon, and it bothered me then. <laughs> Because I think Reese Bannon says I'm 30 years old, and I was like 32 at the time, with his with his head of white hair. 
so. at 30. <laughs> but anyway, I don't like being older than, than Uncle What's-His-Name or Ray Spannon. Or Wilford Brimley. But, but you know, you got you to give Ted a little bit of grief for just going ahead and doing all this work for his uncle okay. uh, without knowing what's going on. You know, he's, what's the problem for? I'll tell you later, Ted, as I promised. And he says, uh, he's talking about his father. What does he say? Uh, I'm not sure. Or she's, he says, I'm not sure your father would approve of you helping me. Uh, and then he says, well, you know, whatever your difference is, I'm sure dad would never make an issue of it with me. Well, yeah, he would have, because your uncle's an evil <laughs> Well, so now the question is, did, like, the uncle do in his brother? <laughs> I guess, I guess his... you know, who knows? Maybe we'd get to that in the Blue Beetle oh, yeah. series. Well, then, did, did, I don't think there was any body for uh, the uncle either when this ended. We we didn't see a body, so he could have survived. Well, there was something there. No. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying later. Yeah. Um, well, you know. In, in, in theory, somewhere, uh, the original Blue Beetle could have survived. We, you know, we never saw him. We, we never saw a corpse. <laughs> well, no, because he talks to him, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, he's talking to him. He's getting so, him to promise, and then there's the uh, collapse. Yeah. So, so oh, you know, he, he could have still been alive. He's like, I'm, I'm okay. I'm dead here. I'm not dead yet. Where are you going in that helicopter? <laughs> Well, I look at it this way. You know, you're saying, well, Ted, Ted's, you know, oh, you know, maybe he should have asked more questions. Ted's got a lot of student loans to pay off. So, that, hey, I got a job. OK. You know, sometimes, you know, you just kind of look the other way. I got I got a lot of I got a lot of stuff to pay off. A lot what? of mouths to feed. I'm getting better and better. Oh, yeah, it's going to. Benefit the world. Now, I, I'd be interested in knowing how this origin differs from the origin that Steve Ditko gave the Blue Beetle, because he is the creator of the of the Silver Age Blue Beetle, uh, you know, who Ted, Ted Cord. So I'd be interested in knowing how the origin differs, but I mm. don't know, and I may never. The world may never know. All right, so I think it's sure time to, to rate this one and move on. So, as I said, I think the cover... But, 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 what, you got but, more? But, there's an Arnold Schwarzenegger reference in this book. Did I, did I bypass an Arnold Schwarzenegger reference? Where is that? Uh, that's on where he's doing all the workout. This is, that doesn't mean I have to be a pushover. Well, I'm, not, I'm still not exactly Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I guess I'll do. Mm-hmm. You should say that in the in the voice. Yeah, well, I'm still not exactly Arnold Schwarzenegger, but wait, I am Arnold Schwarzenegger, so I guess I'll do. He does look pretty buff in that shot. Yes. Practically Mild Arnold Schwarzenegger. Cult. Practically, yeah. Okay, so now moving oh, on. To, oh, we got more. Down at the bottom of that page, uh, where he's putting his uh, shirt on, mm-hmm. is. I know I've seen a shot exactly like that in a Gil Kane Spider-Man thing where Peter Parker's putting on his shirt. I think you're probably right. I can't okay. put my finger on it, but I would say you're probably right. Yeah, that I may, could. Tell that you may be one of these stock poses for Gil Kane. Yes, I, I was like, I know I've seen that shot before, and I am positive it was like Peter Parker putting on his outfit. You know, I was like, I, you know, and this being Gil Kane, I was like, there, 
has to be, you know. So, all right, that's the last uh, interruption slash takeaway. I will. No, that's fine. Those miserable. are all fine. Your takeaways. But reading the book, <laughs> as I started to say uh, at the beginning, I thought the cover was pretty effective. Uh, I, you know, I, I look at the yellow and think, does that look right? But I think it does contrast with all the blue. Well, I think anything that's, you know, the yellow is very bright, but everything else, it would it would be too subdued if it was a different color. So I'm good with that. I'm thinking the cover is, you know, like it's around the B plus. It's not, you know, the greatest cover, but it's definitely eye catching. And uh, it would, if I had any interest at all in these characters, and I'm in the store, I think it would, it's one I'd pick up and buy, at its 75 cent cover price. Uh, well, I'm just trying to think if it was another color. Yeah, I'm trying to picture the only other color I can picture in my head being not so bad is red. Uh, but then you got the red gloves on the original Blue Beetle, and it just kind of would make those be lost in the image, and doesn't yeah. do it for me. I don't. Uh, blue would be terrible. Oh yeah, yeah. And white wouldn't. You know, white would be worse than the yellow. I think so. I think yellow was the right choice. Yeah, I mean, and there is yellow in his goggles and on his belt, so it kind of, and on the bug ship. We do so, have, uh, okay, sorry? No, no, go ahead. We, you know, the interior art, uh, we do have some stock Gilkane poses, uh, you know, as always. You know, it, it is, it was one of his things, uh, but I think it's all just really beautiful. And again, I think this, the pacing, the storytelling is all top notch in this. Uh, and, and the, you know, the individual images, while there may be some stock poses, I think they're all distinctive and, and clear and, and I, you know, I have no issues with any of them. They, they, oh, they, yeah. they set a tone. You know, the opening I, I, page and the last page is a stock Spider-Man pose. <laughs> but yeah, pretty much. But I yeah. feel, I feel like it really does, you know, it, it does a great job of, of making the story interesting, readable, followable. Uh, and, and like I said, it's just really well done. So I'm, I'm going to say it's not quite like the best, but I'm going to give it an A minus. Uh, and the story, I'm going to say the same thing for the story. I think, you know, Len Wein had a lot to juggle in this one and he managed to get it all done. So I'm going to say an A minus for him as well for that. And I'm going to give the book overall an A minus. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, the cover, yeah, it's like a B plus might make me. Want to pick it up? Uh, yeah, the interior. I mean, we've been mentioned a few things. Um, I like the way they depicted that he had this like vision he could see through. Because they're inside a like underground, and he's looking up, and he can see a jet up in the sky. But, but and like they made the like he had some mystic stuff coming from his eyes that allowed him to see outside. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it was kind of a neat, neat little. Uh, get, uh, thing. I'll say B plus on the art and uh, give the story an A. So that's like a B plus, almost an A minus. Okay, cool. With this book. You know what we don't have this week? A uh, Marvel. We don't have a Marvel. Isn't that weird? I think we almost always have a Marvel. Yeah, you know. In in the uh, words of Rowdy Rowdy Piper, every time you think you know the answers, we change the questions. What is that from? Rowdy Rowdy Piper used to say that. Oh, what? On on, On wrestling. The Snake Pit? 
right? Was that what his his segment? No, he, he did Piper's Pit. Snake Piper's Pit was Jake Pit. the Snake Roberts. Okay, all right. <laughs> my bad. I mixed my wrestlers. You did. I I I I, sh- I should be flogged, sure. or at least had a metal chair smashed over my head. Eh, whichever. <laughs> so what do you got for us today, Bill? Oh, I got a book, and there was much rejoicing. I got, after some commiseration, <laughs> because I'm like, have we done this? Yes. Have we done this? Yes. Have we done this? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> We've done a lot of books. <laughs> yeah, but I was thinking, I was like, all right, 500 episodes. If we did three a show, which we haven't, then that would be, you know, 1,500 books out of thousands upon thousands of comics and i couldn't find you know my first like two two pick not we did that. not we did that like really so what so did you I, settle on so i settled on after you had said oh i already did number one so fine i'll do number two of the man with no name from dynamite and i'll interrupt you for a second to say number one i did look it up we did that in issue 183 it was wow. myself along with Professor Allen and Jim Dietz. Man, that's a long time ago. Jeez, that's like, what was that, like the uh, the 70s? <laughs> it was a lot longer, you know, I had to dig a lot further back than I expected to when I looked up to see, you know, when, when, you know, when I said, oh, when did we do that one? So I, I do remember thinking, I do remember having a relatively positive take on that first issue but i don't remember you know the details that well i did peruse through the first issue again just mm-hmm. to refamiliarize myself with it uh but you know as far as what i said about it i don't remember well to get our listeners back up to speed uh when we la uh, that uh, my phone's ringing uh, hold on let's see anything i need to be concerned about waiting Oh, it's Walgreens. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I got to go pick something up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, so uh, this is the the Man With No Name comic is a continuation of the story of After the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which I kind of figured out when I was reading the story and a, and a name was mentioned, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's one of the movie characters. What? So then I had to go dig, go down a rabbit hole, and get caught up to speed. So... You remember what happened last issue? Uh, vaguely. I, well, I, I, yeah. I mean, I did page through it again. I know that uh, it picks up. He's being pursued by people because he has gold from the end of uh, yeah, the movie. And, and, and there's uh, somebody who's also being uh, chased, and he kind of meets up with the guy. The guy turns out to be a priest, tells him that uh, there, there's a mission that he has, and, and it's being overrun by... Uh, Confederate and uh, deserters that are outside yeah, wanting both, from both sides. Yeah, they they think there's a treasure in there, and he at first rot, rides away after he buries the priest, but then he, you know, he turns and he goes in the other direction. So we pick up here in issue two, and it is uh, written by Christos Gage, illustrated by Wellington Diaz, uh, lettered by Simon Bolin, colored by Bruno Hang. And covered by Richard Azanoff, Azanobe, Azanoff. And the first thing, 
I realized afterward that I was familiar with his art. I Where's thought, that from? Um, well, the first place that I, I um, oddly enough, was he did some of the covers for, um, yeah, The Dark Tower that Marvel okay, did. Yes, yes, I can, I can see that in my mind. Which the character, the Dark Tower in itself, is a you know supposed to be a take on Clint Eastwood. Um, you know, it's he's often drawn somewhat like that um, in some illustrations. Although in like when the, he's not the, being played by Idris Elba. Yeah, yeah. So, but then I did some other and like he did the uh, Wolverine: The Origin. Uh, he did a lot of covers. But um, and and then I saw that oh he also did some Uncanny X Men I'm like oh I kind of recognize those covers all right got it cool um but back to the book that's right this is one of those stories but luckily it's not that deep so uh, I don't have to ramble all over the place so the uh, the man with no name is uh, riding riding through the desert on his horse. Yippee-yay-yay. Oh, riding, riding, riding. Oh, nice callback. Rawhide. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he is spied upon by a couple soldiers, and they're going to get ready to dynamite him, and uh, suddenly he uh, disappears, and they don't know where he's at. And out of nowhere, they, they look Duck like... Duck at me. Yes. Although, I don't know what this guy was thinking, right? So this guy's looking through the eyepiece, and he says, it's him, all, all right, headed this way. And you look into what's through the spy scope, through through the uh, the telescope, right? Mm-hmm. He's in the middle of the shot, right? Then these guys, blah, 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 Tell me when he's getting close, kid. Guy puts his eye back up. It's the same shot. Like he's looking in the same pass. And now he's not there. Okay. He was on a horse. (laughs) Riding when you last looked. You guys have been chit-chatting. If this was screen time, it would have been at least... 30 seconds to a minute. You really think he's going to be in the same exact place for when you last looked in this? Like, uh, and of course he's not in the shot because now he's behind them and he shoots the dynamite, blowing it up, taking the, I believe he takes the one guy out. And then he starts to question the other guy you know, about the wanted poster. Are you guys after me? Tells uh, he f- finds out about uh, the deserters that are around the mission and how they think there's there's uh, there's treasure inside, and it's being defended by a bunch of wounded soldiers that were in there, um, who were helped by by the priests. But one by one, they're you know they're either going to starve them out or they're being picked off by a sniper called the Ghost. And um, at the end, uh, the man with no name says, "Here, you know, take this, you know, here's some water. Walk west." And you'll reach a town in about a day and a half. You ain't gonna give me a horse. Leave now or stay here permanent. Yes, sir. And the guy hightails it out of there. And then uh, basically, the man with no name buries his gold 
which yeah oh i see there's a there's a rock out i was like how's he gonna find that again there's a rock outcropping that kind of looks very distinct so he buries it under there kind of looks like a bird doesn't it i'm gonna have to go look at that again oh, sorry sorry i mean it could look like a bird sitting like an eagle let me see. some type of large wing page again so he buries the gold and then proceeds to go to the where the mission is now. They, this, they said this mission just, was just, just to interrupt you. I'm sorry, oh. but uh, yeah, it, it looks kind of like an eagle. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's. I guess that should make it easy enough to find. And now, once again, we return to your to our story. Ah. So he then goes on to the mission. That's a pretty big mission. Yeah, and not one able-bodied man in there. Yeah. So he uh, he rides up and meets Jonah Hex. Oh no, sorry, that's not. Jonah. <laughs> uh, meets the Union and the Confederate soldiers out front. He, you know, he says, "I'm not a deserter." Blah blah blah. You know, what about you? You're keeping some strange company. And uh, of course, then blah blah blam. He disarms everybody, or he disarms the guy. And at that point, why wouldn't have everybody around him? Why wouldn't one of them guys just killed him? My thoughts exactly. It's like, you should be dead. You, you don't wait to see, oh, is he going to kill us or not before you click, shoot click, back? Click, click, click. Like, why? He's one He's, he's one guy. You're like, you got hundreds of people here. Uh, oh, because I could have killed you and I didn't. That good enough for you? Oh, my hand. He shot the gun out of my hand. He's so much better than me. That's why we can't kill him. Shoot him! You have, you have enough people. <laughs> Some of you will survive. And uh, <laughs> he's like, all right, you got my attention. What do you want? Oh, I want to join up with you boys. And then that's where we end for now. Yeah, that's dramatic writing for how you know that happens, but it's so unrealistic. <laughs> Yeah. But hey, I mean, this is a continuation of the story from the movies, so, you know, you can see it. I'll go with it. Yeah, it's... If it you, definitely you know, has the the uh, spaghetti western feel to it. Yeah, it does. But I, I you know, you, you gotta... You gotta... Shut up. You Suspension gotta... You you really have to for that for that one thing. I think they could have come up with some more clever way for him to win them over. Mm-hmm. You know that that's the only thing about it. But other than that, it does have the cinematic feel of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, the character seems the only thing is the character seems just a touch more talkative than than in the movie. But I think that's you know they're, they're not using thought balloons, and you have to kind of give his motivation, and you're not you know. As a writer, yeah. I guess you want to write some things for him. Well, and of course you can hear Clint Eastwood's voice too. Yeah, and I, I've I've also looked at like it almost seems like they're trying to skirt around the image a little bit so that maybe they don't have to pay him any kind of royalties. Like mm. it's him, but it's not distinctive enough that it's absolutely him. No, uh, it doesn't look like there's any photo referencing or anything. Uh, and and I'm wondering, you know, what the deal was. Would they have to? Would they have had to pay him anything or not? And you know, if so, is that why they didn't draw him as distinctive? Well, I think the one that looks like him the most is the one on the cover, where you've. Uh, oh yeah, I went right by. But I talked about the cover and went right by. Uh, basically, he's uh, 
in profile, he's got a lit cigar in his mouth and a, and a, and a stick of dynamite in his hand. It's been lit by that cigar, and his face is just lit up by the fuse. Yeah, I, I you know, I feel like he, like he drew Wolverine on the cover. Well, funny you say that. He did do some other things with Wolverine. Yeah, so, you, you yeah. mentioned that before, and 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 it's you know I I hadn't put that together when I first looked at it, but I did mm. look at it and see the Wolverine comparison in my mind anyway. Yeah. Now these soldiers, so the uh, the guys in the past where they're going to take them out, so they were going to use a dynamite to start a rock slide. Okay. What what what, what are you guys thinking? You know, because they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to start a rock slide and we're, you know, we're going to say we found that money. But who's to say he didn't spend some of that money? And you know, it's like, you guys are a bunch of morons. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you're going to start a rock slide. Good chance you're going to bury him with the rocks. Or bury yourself. A lot of <laughs> Just shoot him. Just shoot him. Well, clearly that can't be done. I know. I know. Uh, oh, the name of the story was Sinners and Saints, Chapter 2. Now, I know I read this entire series quite a while ago, before you know, before I even did the first issue way back when, uh, but I have very little memory of how it works out. In fact, I have virtually no memory of how it works out. Hmm. So that's that's not speaking too well for it, I guess. Well, I know the later... Chuck Dixon wrote uh, the continuation. I think they won 11 issues, and then Chuck Dixon ca- came on. And they were ca- calling this uh, the man with no name, the good, the bad, and the uglier. But then they, when they start back up again, they call it the good, and the bad, and the ugly, but it's not a adaptation of the movie. So it's a little – I'm kind of curious. Maybe I'll keep reading. Yeah, certainly uh, – you know, I don't think there's ever a point where any of the issues are going to take you more than 10 minutes to read. No, no. They're very, very quick reading. Uh, I suspect that I said the first time around, and I'm going to say now, I think this is probably a series that's better to be read all together than it would have been, you know, oh, picking it yeah, up month by month. But that's, that's, that's a common complaint I have for a lot of modern day books. Because a lot mm-hmm. of the books are, you know, five minutes and done. So, you know, this one is no exception to that. But, you know, the story, you know, if you overlook the plot hole about them not killing him, uh, you know, it's it, it captures the movie. Uh, you know, Good, Bad, and the Ugly is one of my yeah. favorite movies ever. It really is. It's on my top list, and it's always it's it's always been since the first time I saw it. So, you know, oh, that, yes. that says something. So the name Tuco is mentioned in the book, and that's when I was like, wait a minute, is this actually referencing the good, the bad, and the ugly? Because Tuco was Eli Wallach's character. And to tie this in even further to to everything else we discussed, did you know the word Tuco Tuco, Tuco hyphen Tuco, is... Uh, a South American burrowing rodent. I did not know that. To the North American pocket gopher. Interesting. <laughs> so I was well, like, that, that's a pretty that. cool. That's a pretty cool name for him. Tuco. I did have to look up one word in here. Uh, when he first approaches the the giant mission, 
uh, and they and he's greeted. The guy says, "That's as far as you go, Sekish." Hmm. And apparently, oh, that, being, that was yeah, a, that... a civil war pejorative term that people used for people. Was he calling him a? Uh, is that for um, the South or like uh, CSA? I don't know. I'm going to look it up really quickly again. And... While you do that, I will open a can of Dime Mountain Dew. It's been in the garage, so it is cold. A Sekish is a secessionist, a supporter of the Confederacy during the United States Civil War. Hmm. Well, how does he know that? Well, I think because he was on the other side. Oh, it's wait, yeah, because I think if you look underneath, he oh was, yeah, he was. He, I guess he's a Union oh. soldier, and no, 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 because he took the guy that was killed when he blew up the dynamite. He took his jacket and put it under his poncho. Okay, that's what's identifying him as. So he's, he's okay, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, because before he just had on a like a regular vest with a, a uh, like a white shirt but when you see when he arrives he now has a buttoned up collar of a confederate um, soldier under under his poncho the one right before you see the big shot of the mission if you look at that panel right before it you can see the collar very distinctly you can see the you know he's got the overcoat underneath his poncho you, you don't really see it I mean, you see it in others, but but yeah. So that's how he identified him that way. Okay, and it makes total sense. But you know, that shows at least some level of research that was done when they wrote this to come up with, uh, you know, the yeah. terminology that they would have used at that time. Because mm-hmm. I don't yeah, think I've okay. ever heard anybody call anybody else a sekish. Right. Yeah. No, I don't think so either. So. Um... Would you like me to rate? Sure. All right. The cover. I like the cover. Uh, I mean, it's. It's very for me, it's very, uh, you know, a term we often use indicative of uh, Clint Eastwood, the man with no name. Um, I, I'm I'm torn. I'm torn. I, I mean, it's I. I'll give it B plus. I was going to get, you know, it's really close to being an A. I, I like it. It's got a lot of black on it, which, you know, usually, but, but you need it because of what you're trying to, you know, what you're trying to show that he's, you know, this, this would be a good movie shot. Um, the interior art is different from the cover artist. It's serviceable. It tells a story. It reminds me of, uh, vaguely, of course, it could be the could be the inker, not sure, or the colorist. It reminds me a little bit of what is it that did the other Wolverine ones? Was it Steve Dillon? Mm-hmm. But not as hard stylized. Like Steve Dillon, like a lot of his characters all look the same to me for some reason. They they all have like bulgy eyes. Yes, and these characters. For some reason, it was reminiscent of that, and I, I I can't really pinpoint why, but it is that. So, I think um, I think the fa- facially they're different, but as far as the 
overall style and the body, uh, I do think that, that you've, you know, you've hit on something there. Okay. So I'm not crazy. <laughs> um, so the interior art, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a B and I, I enjoy the story. It's a day. Okay, so, so overall, like B plus, B plus, A minus, like the first book. You know, I guess I'm easy to please. <laughs> I think it's a slight step down from the first book. I'm not really crazy about the cover. I like it, but I'm not, not, not nearly as much as you do. Uh, I think if actually if it looked a little bit more like Clint Eastwood, I'd probably be more inclined to like it. Mm. Uh, it's, it's. I don't know. I'm not sure that if you didn't pick up issue one if you're going to see issue two and say oh let me get this i don't mm. know uh i think it's good and i think it's moody i think the the use of blacks is to create a real mood and i think it does so i'm not really criticizing it for that uh i i think it might be better if it was slightly less close just you know you're not 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 a long shot of him but maybe Maybe show from like mid chest up instead of starting mm. at his neck. Yeah, I think, I think it might be more effective to me. I may not. Maybe it wouldn't be. I don't know. But that's my my initial thought. So I'm I'm going to say you know a solid B. I think it's a very good cover, but it it could be even better. Uh, the interior art. I like the interior art, and I see what you're saying about the Steve Dillonish nature of it. Uh, I think I think it you know it does a decent job of 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 creating again creating the mood creating that cinematic feel uh, you know the, the the art and the story complement them each other in that regard uh, so I'm going to say B plus on the interior art I think it's pretty solid uh, story wise again I think they complement each other I, I almost feel like they're so intertwined that you almost can't rate them differently than each other <laughs> uh you know so i'm gonna say a b plus on the on the interior art also i mean on the story also and the book kind of borders between a b and a b plus uh i'm gonna knock it down to a b just because that last sequence is a little bit challenging to accept that it actually occurred that way mm -hmm. so i'm gonna give the book a b on oh, and, and just to, to mention uh i i just feel like it's an interesting pose on the uh, when when he's actually approaching the two guys who are trying to watch him in the spyglass because he almost looks like he's tiptoeing, uh, which is just a little <laughs> weird. But you know, just just another final thought on that one. But uh, you know, it's it's a it's a solid follow up to a solid book. Uh, but I do think again that if you're not reading this all, you know, if you if you don't get the whole series and just read it in one sitting, you're probably going to lose a little something on it. Hmm. So I guess that'll do it for our two books for today. Hey, where's Scott? On assignment. Um, so, is he ever going to get that homework done? I hope he does. So that'll I do think it. the dog keeps eating it. <laughs> we Guys, I had an assignment done, but I got to go back and do it again. Come on back to us, Scott. It's like Shane. Come back. <laughs> Uh, we'll see you all next week. Maybe we'll try and get Scott with us. Scott who? Exactly. Scott who Gardner. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> That's what they it's, it's, yeah, it's H-U-E. <laughs> <laughs> or H-O-O. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. All right, hold on. I got to chase the cat out of here. Get out of here. Go. Get out of here. I'm not feeding you. Go. 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 Here. How about a boot to the ass? Now, go. Go, go, go. Go, go, go. Goddamn cat.